You know, you can be physically blind, have a lot of problems and still be a prophet of God and see things and see the future and all of that. It's fascinating in about five minutes time. We're going to talk about that from 1 Kings chapter 14. Very, very interesting. Well, Corey's here with Ryan. What's going on, Corey? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at 1 Kings chapter 16, where northern Israel gets a new king and a new capital city. Ryan? Today, I'm studying the prophetic duo of Elijah and Elisha. All right. This is a very interesting. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. It's a very interesting uh, pieces that both of them have. Excellent. Janice? Today being real. All right. So get your Bible out and let's begin to understand. If you don't have your Bible guide, we'll tell you how to get one in just a minute. But uh, take your Bible guide. The most important book of all is the Bible because it's God's word. So get it out and let's look at what God is saying to us as we read it today. First Kings 14, 1 through 11. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be, when she comes in, that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was, when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people, and made you ruler over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do only what was right in my eyes." But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Mm -hmm. 
First Kings chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16, we're fast in reading the Bible. And that's important. You know, the aftermath of Solomon's life was not good for Israel. The nation split in two after his death. The majority of the nations, the 10 tribes of Israel, chose to follow Solomon's enemy, Jeroboam, as the new king of Israel. Now, in a terrible twist, Jeroboam was also entwined in idol worship. Except rather than introducing new gods into Israel like Solomon did, Jeroboam set up religious images at sites within his jurisdiction and tried to replace the worship of God at his temple. He wanted to keep the influence of David's family as distant as possible. Now the hitch in this plan, however, was when Jeroboam's son became very ill. He interestingly sends his wife for a prophet of God, Ahijah. God's reaction amazed and amazes him terribly. Honestly, if it were me, I would have probably judged Jeroboam years earlier. There'd be a new king in, this, in his place, I'll tell you that. Yet God chose to speak with him. The answer is a hard one, but this whole scenario illustrates that there are key opportunities that God gives us to turn back to him. He is our father. He is our creator and he loves us. This is absolutely stunning. Now, uh, this is important. Take your Bible guide to today's page, God's judgment, because this is a really critical time in Israel's history. Now, this is a Bible guide you can get if you write to us or if you call us, you can also go online. And when you go online, you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the page. When you click on it, it'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. I just want to say thank you. And whatever the donation is, is praise God, be spoken to your heart. And uh, whatever you give is, we trust that is God's Holy Spirit to us. So praise God. But this is important because it teaches you about the Bible. That's the most critical and important book that we need to read. We need to read the Bible. And you can get a Bible anywhere. Online, you can download it, anything. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about God's judgment. Father, I pray today as we open up the scripture, open up the Bible, that you would show us your ways and teach us your path because we need to hear them. Thank you, Lord. And this is important for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. First Kings 14 and the first six verses are very critical. Listen carefully to the details of the scripture. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, the prophet, is there, who told me that I would be king over this people. Also take with you 10 loaves of barley or 10 loaves of cake and a jar of honey and go with him and he will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed because of the reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, For it will be, 
when she comes in, that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, come on in wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. I just need to tell you this. Physical blindness does not affect God's prophet. Okay. Physical blindness has nothing to do with it. God's spirit is not bound by the physical. He works in the spiritual and the physical follows. God works in the spiritual and the physical follows. We need to understand that. So many times we lose ourselves in this idea. Well, we can't because this and hold on a minute with God's Holy Spirit. Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. Now, we need to remember that because he's still true today. First Kings chapter 14, verse seven. Go and tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all of his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. And you've done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge from all until all of it is gone. Hmm. Jeroboam's decision would not only affect him, but those around him. Beloved, our decisions affect the people around us, good or bad. I heard this growing up in school. People would say to me, well, I make my own decisions, you know, and you make your decisions. I make my decision. It doesn't affect you, but that's not true. Every decision we make affects people. And as we come to Christ and pattern our life after him, we learn how to live. We learn the importance of the other people. We don't become selfish. We become selfless. Very important. First Kings 14, verse 11, the last verse. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken. God's word is true and unchanging. Now listen to me carefully. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Choose life. Turn away from sin and follow the Lord Jesus today. Let me tell you, we all have free choices, of course, but our choices bear consequences. How we choose, we live with. That affects who we are. And so, beloved, I'm not sure that my free choice is for me to enjoy life. I think my choices are for me to get my life right with God. What do you think? I think that's the case. And I think we need to pray, Father, help us today not to get lost in this idea of free choice and I can do what I want, but 
Help me to get lost in the idea of who you are. And help me to change my life to do what you want. Father, I pray today as we consider what's happened in Israel. We read it. We understand it. And we pray today, Lord, that you would help us to change the way we live. Change the way we act. Change the way we react. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. Change us for who we are. We need to become better. We need to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. All right, so as promised, in 1 Kings chapter 16, we get the records of a few different kings of Israel. And what ends up happening is the king of Israel is actually assassinated. Uh, but but uh, Omri, uh, who was a commander in the army, he goes basically head to head against the guy who killed the king of Israel and took his place. And Omri comes out the victor and he becomes the new king of Israel. So he seems to have been from all intents and purposes, a very savvy guy, quite the statesman, quite the, he had quite the ability to organize the kingdom and set up trade and the economy and work well with the military. Uh, and he establishes a new capital city. So let's take a look at this capital city first, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it afterwards. It's Samaria. First Kings 16 tells us that Omri ruled as king of Israel for six years in the city of Tirzah. Then, deciding on a move, he bought the hill of Samaria and built on it a fortified city that became the new capital of the northern nation of Israel. Samaria, as we have it today, has been excavated twice, revealing that King Omri's original palace was used not only through the time period of the kings, it appears to have survived the Assyrian takeover in 721 BC. The Assyrians, after a long siege, must have exercised great restraint in not destroying the city or palace. Instead, they added insults to the injury of their conquest, installing their governor in the old palace of the kings, a symbol of utter defeat for the Israelites. The palace then, without much improvement, lasted through the empire takeovers of Babylon, Persia, and into the Hellenistic Age. During the Hellenistic period, the city was eventually destroyed and abandoned, but it was later rebuilt by the Romans, and famously by Herod the Great, who built a temple to Caesar Augustus on top of Omri's old palace. Omri's palace occupied the very summit of the hill, the most prestigious place in Samaria. Partially preserved by Herod's temple, Omri's palace was built on a large square rock platform that he had made by carving away all the extra rock. It was a 13-foot high platform that was climbed via monumental staircase. 
Researcher Dr. Rupert Chapman believes that Omri built his palace in the style of what's called a window house. This means the palace would have filtered you into the throne room by way of a pillared, covered courtyard and grand doorways. The throne room would have been large, possibly two stories tall with a raised center roof whose windows let in light. He also believes that palaces like these had a type of balcony window out of which the royals could present themselves to the people. Interestingly, a pit was found during excavations that contained ivories from the original palace. They're beautifully carved with animals, trees, plants, gods, and more, revealing why the palace was called the Ivory House. One ivory is carved with a known motif, the woman at the window. Now, we can see, especially from that hoard of ivory and gold objects, that Samaria was quite the economic center. And I mean, we we see in 1 Kings 20, a few chapters later, when uh, Ahab, Omri's son, is dealing with the Aramean king, the Aramean king says something really interesting. He offers, Benadad offers to Ahab, he says, you may set up your own market areas in Damascus. That was his capital city, just as my father did in Samaria. So we know that Omri had struck a deal with the Arameans and, and he had created Samaria as a really well, um, uh, 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 an international marketplace. Uh, so he had really done that well. And we know that he also likely was aiming to make Samaria a religious center for their own version of Yahwehism, their own ways of worshiping God, just as Jerusalem had the temple. And, and we know this because that was what capital cities were in the ancient world, but also because Ahab and Jezebel reversed that decision and turned it into a Baal center of worship. Uh, so it still became a religious center, but just a really, really bad one. And probably uh, Omri's premature, he, he died only a few years after taking the throne. So he probably didn't get to do everything that he wished he had of. Now, Samaria is one of those cities where it's they, they built it. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those cities that, uh, you know, God said you can move in when originally with Joshua. Mm -hmm. And I want you to take over the cities, yeah. you know, and take them. But they built Samaria. Yeah. And that's yep. unique. So it's very interesting. It didn't stand. It, it 722 BC, it's on the history on the history book. Yeah, well, it, it, that, it did actually survive through that, but uh, it, it became kind of a, a, a point of, of a, a way for the Assyrians to, to manage the land, which is really, really cool. But yeah, it survived a little bit longer, but not in its glory. <laughs> not in its glory. It was never what it was. Okay, sure. very good. Ryan. All right, well, today I'm taking a look at the, prof uh, the prophet Elijah, as well as his understudy, Elisha. Now, we know from the scriptures that Elijah paralleled John the Baptist. That is, John was a type of Elijah. But have you ever wondered about Elisha? Is there a parallel between him and anyone else? One of the most famous and fascinating people of the Bible is the prophet Elijah. In fact, the New Testament speaks of Elijah more than any other Old Testament prophet. He also appears at the Transfiguration of Christ and is probably one of the coming two witnesses mentioned in the book of Revelation. The account of Elijah's life as well as his understudy, Elisha, are recorded in the books of the kings. Both Elijah and Elisha performed several great miracles. Indeed, Elijah suspended the rain for three and a half years, raised a widow's son from the dead, 
called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel after 850 of Jezebel's Canaanite prophets failed to do so and defeated the 450 priests of Baal, just to name a few. Ironically, Elijah is the only prophet in the Bible who asked God to take his life, yet in the end does not die at all. Instead, he was fed twice by an angel and continued his journey to Mount Sinai, where he had a unique encounter with God. It was only after these things that Elijah, like Enoch, was translated. Before he's translated, however, Elisha asks the prophet for a double portion of his spirit to come upon him. Why? As one Bible scholar observes, Elijah is one of the most fantastic prophets in the scripture, and Elisha not only wants to follow in his footsteps, he wants a double portion, perhaps to be twice as good. Is it a mere coincidence then that Elijah did eight recorded major miracles, but Elisha did 16? Also, Elisha, while he was a very powerful prophet in his own right, had a very different style. He mixed with people. Most of his acts were healing acts. His words were gentle. Almost all of his actions had to do with life rather than death. In fact, his motto could have been the resurrection life. For these reasons, some see a parallel between Elisha and Christ. The Bible leaves no question about the parallel between Elijah and John the Baptist. Indeed, the final words that conclude the Old Testament in Malachi 4 are God's, saying, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. 400 years later, the New Testament opens with the coming of John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. John proclaimed that the one who was coming after him was mightier than he. Perhaps then, just as Elijah paralleled John, Elisha paralleled the future Messiah. Okay, so is Elisha a parallel to Jesus Christ? Well, it's definitely possible, but we can't be absolutely sure because the Bible doesn't tell us like it does of Elijah and John the Baptist. But I do find it really interesting that Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's spirit and was, in a sense, greater, although Elijah is also regarded as one of the most powerful prophets of the Bible. And similarly, Jesus said of John that no one born of woman was greater than John. But John also proclaimed Jesus to be mightier than himself. Very, very interesting. Yeah, that 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 is something. You can really uh, explore this in a big way. And they, they'll go to your YouTube channel if they want more information. So Yeah, I, I post videos there all the time. It's just my name, Ryan Hembry. Yeah, so, so look up Ryan Hembry on YouTube and uh, you can go there. Janice? Well, and Corey, you've had something that you've been offering this month. Yes. Like to tell us about it. Yes, of course. So I did a, a six-part Bible study on Saul, and it takes us through the book of First Samuel. So if you want to dig deeper into First Samuel, if you really want to understand Saul's role and calling, he was not just the enemy of David. He had a very interesting role and calling and purpose by God. So if you'd like to get a hold of that, hop on over to our website in the resource section, or you can always call the office as well. All right. Very good. Okay. So I called this segment being real. I take a look at this story in first Kings chapter 14's judgment on the house of Jeroboam and King Jeroboam was a very erratic, double-minded guy. And he has a son whose name is Abijah. And we have a prophet whose name is Ahijah. So let's get that straight right now. Abijah is the sixth son and Ahijah is the prophet that they go to. And Jeroboam wants to find out from God what's going to happen with his son. So he asks his wife to disguise herself and to go and ask the prophet Ahijah to find out from God what the future is. Now, before Jeroboam's wife 
gets to Ahijah, God already speaks to Ahijah, and you've heard this in Rod's teaching. He speaks to him and he tells him, somebody's going to show up and it's Jeroboam's wife. And she's going to come disguised and here's what you're going to tell her. So if you can imagine, can you imagine if you are Jeroboam's wife and now you have to dress up, your son is, is sick, you don't know whether he's going to die, so you're already in turmoil. Now you've got to go and pretend that you're not the king's wife. You have to pretend you're somebody else. You go to the prophet's house. As soon as he hears you come in the front door, he goes, oh, hi, Jeroboam's wife. Why are you disguised? I can't imagine whether she would have been embarrassed that she had been caught or whether she was relieved that she didn't have to play a role, that she could just come honestly before this man to get the information. And it reminded me of how we are sometimes, that we feel like we have to disguise who we are in front of God, who already knows our problems, who already knows what our future holds, who already knows what's inside of our hearts. And sometimes we feel like we have to come to God with some kind of pretense. We have to pretend that, or or that we have to fix up our lives first before we can come to him. And as we can see here with Jeroboam's wife, she was already in turmoil. Her son was so deathly ill and he, he would die. But now she's got to dress up and pretend to be somebody. There's so much that she was carrying, a job to do for her husband, being in suffering for her son, and now having to pretend a part that she's not. And Jesus just says, come to me. Come to me. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the creator of the universe who says, I know who you are. I created you. I've seen what you've done. But if you come to me in honesty, you and I can work this out. Jesus has paid the cost with his life on the cross for you today. If you believe that in your heart and you confess him as Lord and you ask him to forgive your sins, he will do that today. Again, I want to say, remember Bible Discovery TV, there's programs on it, this program's on it, but you can also watch Beyond the Call. It's a program that people come on and they tell how God has changed their life. We've got several programs on there and I want to encourage you that 
you can be a part of that and watch it there, not on TV, but on the website. Let's pray. Father, help us today to change the way we live, not to follow our own desires, but to follow you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.